What are some of the elite forces behind the rise of young climate activist Greta Thunberg? Is there a Western ethnic bias in the environmental movement's media strategies? Are proposed climate solutions and international gatherings like the UN climate talks little more than green window dressing for profit-making ventures? What is in the Paris Accord that should concern social and environmentally-minded people? On this week's episode of the Global Research News Hour, as more and more people around the world are confronting climate stresses like the current cold snap and demanding serious attention to climate change, we ask some discerning and uncomfortable questions as to the extent climate awareness is being co-opted into serving the agendas of a few elite interests at the expense of the environment and the genuine aspirations of legions of youth attracted to the message of an outspoken Swedish teenage activist. We spend the hour in conversation with Corey Morningstar, who's just produced a dynamic new series of articles taking a look at the background of Greta Thunberg and forces at work behind the scenes and probe the agenda being furthered in the name of environmental justice. On this week's program, Saving the Earth or Saving Capitalism? The inconvenient truth behind today's youth climate campaigns. Bringing you the analysis beyond the media headlines, the Global Research News Hour is on the air. Welcome to the Global Research News Hour for the week of February 1st, 2019. I'm series host and producer Michael Welch. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration between the Center for Research on Globalization and campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabeg-Akin, the homeland of the Métis Nation and the historical territory of the Nahiawak and the Nakota. We seek to provide you with access to analysis of the major issues shaping our world today from thinkers, researchers, and unique political personalities rarely addressed by major media. Our program is available from the Center's website, globalresearch.ca. We'll begin our show with News Notes, a sampling of articles from the Global Research News site. The developing economies, such as India and Pakistan, are always hungry for foreign direct investment to sustain economic growth, and this investment mostly comes from the Western corporations. When the business roundtables of the Paris-based International Chamber of Commerce form pressure groups and engage in collective bargaining activities, the nascent and fragile developing economies don't have a choice but to toe their line. State sovereignty, that sovereign nation-states are at liberty to pursue independent policies, particularly economic and trade policies, is a myth. Just like the ruling elites of the developing countries, which maintain a stranglehold and monopoly over domestic politics, similarly the neocolonial powers and multinational corporations control international politics and the global economic order. Any state in the international arena which dares to transgress the trade and economic policies laid down by neocolonial powers and multinational corporations becomes an international pariah, like Castro's Cuba, Mugabe's Zimbabwe, or more recently, Maduro's Venezuela. That comes from the article, U.S. Sanctions as a Tool to Perpetuate Neocolonialism, by Noman Sadiq, posted January 31st. Do the U.S. and its allies have a moral or ethical right to determine the political future of Venezuela? This question is breezed past, and we move on to the question of how this self-evident authority is best exercised. This is the scope of debate in the New York Times and among virtually all U.S. media outlets. To ante up in the poker game of serious people discussing foreign policy seriously, 
one is obligated to register an official condemnation of the official bad regime. This is so everyone knows you accept the core premises of U.S. regime change but oppose it on pragmatic or legalistic grounds. That comes from the article, Your Complete Guide to the NY Times Support of U.S.-Backed Coups in Latin America, by Adam Johnson, posted January 31st, originally published at Truthdig. On January 24, 2019, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists has stated, quote, Humanity now faces two simultaneous existential threats, either of which would be cause for extreme concern and immediate action. attention. These major threats, nuclear weapons and climate change, were exacerbated this past year, 2018, by the increased use of information warfare to undermine democracy around the world, amplifying risk from these and other threats, and putting the future of civilization in extraordinary danger, unquote. History is replete with instances where an end has been falsely predicted. Where do present climate science-based projections and the probabilities of nuclear war lie? That comes from the article, Imagining Reality, Two Minutes to Midnight on the Clock of the Atomic Scientists, by Dr. Andrew Glickson, posted January 31st. The U.S. Vice President's call-out to the Venezuelan people to rise up and embrace Guaido as their president failed. Of the Americas, governments installed by the U.S. have supported the U.S. position. Countries of the Americas controlled by right-wing middle classes at the service of corporate policies and wealth also support the U.S. position. Western media explain a need for change rising from the country's humanitarian crisis, which on examination is an economic crisis rising from very low prices of oil and then the debilitating U.S.-initiated sanctions to sideline Venezuela's attempts at economic recovery. As the largest holder of oil resources in the world, Venezuela's political and economic difficulties are consistently traced to foreign corporate interests. That comes from the article, A Note on the Crime Against Venezuela, by J.B. Gerald, posted January 31st. A former United Nations rapporteur has criticized the U.S. for engaging in economic warfare against Venezuela, which he claimed was the real reason for the economic and humanitarian crisis facing the country. Alfred Desaias, who last year became the first U.N. rapporteur to visit Venezuela for 21 years, also suggested in his recently published U.N. report that U.S. sanctions on the country are illegal and could amount to crimes against humanity under international law. Mr. Desaias, an American lawyer, writer, historian, and former secretary of the U.N. Human Rights Council, presented his Venezuela report to the HRC in September. In the report, which can be read in full here, Mr. Desaias recommended, among other actions, that the International Criminal Court investigate economic sanctions against Venezuela as possible crimes against humanity under Article 7 of the Rome Statute. In the report conclusions, Mr. Desaias, who is an expert in the fields of human rights and international law, went on to say the solution to the Venezuelan crisis lay, quote, in good faith negotiations between the government and the opposition, an end to the economic war and the lifting of sanctions, unquote. That comes from the article, Economic Warfare Against Venezuela, Illegal U.S. Sanctions Causing Economic and Humanitarian Crisis, According to Former U.N. Rapporteur. Posted January 31st, originally published at Irish Examiner. 
These are just a few of the featured articles appearing last week on the Global Research website. Regular visitors to the site are encouraged to send monetary contributions by fax, mail, or online. Just go to globalresearch.ca and click Donate on the menu bar. Adults keep saying we owe it to the young people to give them hope. But I don't want your hope. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. And then I want you to act. I want you to act as if you would in a crisis. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. Because it is. That was the voice of 16-year-old Greta Thunberg speaking in Davos, Switzerland during the World Economic Forum last week. She's become the face of the modern-day climate movement and has inspired legions of young people around the world with her school strike for climate in which she is demanding action on the part of world leaders to confront climate change as an emergency. As we discussed on the show with Dar Jamail two weeks ago, the hazards posed by climate change are acute and worsening. In recent days, a polar vortex is bringing intense cold to North America. Young people the world over are rising to the challenge and compelling their elders to act. And as this show goes to air, youth in the city of Winnipeg are scheduled to host another climate action, this time at Winnipeg City Hall. This action is also inspired by Greta's example. But are the rich and powerful being moved by the Greta Thunbergs of the world, or are they somehow manipulating youth energies and emotions to boost their own bottom line? This is the Inconvenient Truth, presented in a recent four-part series by Corey Morningstar, entitled The Manufacturing of Greta Thunberg for Consent. A past guest of this program, Corey Morningstar is an independent investigative journalist, writer, and environmental activist, focusing on global ecological collapse and political analysis of the non-profit industrial complex. She resides in London, Ontario. Her recent writings can be found on Wrong Kind of Green, The Art of Annihilation, and Counterpunch. And her writing has also been published by Bolivia Rising and Cambio, the official newspaper of the plurinational state of Bolivia. Corey, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you back on the show. Hi, Michael. Thanks for um, having me back on the show. You know, it did strike me as being a little peculiar that this this one girl, and no doubt she's very intelligent and charismatic and dedicated, but there are lots of of young people out there doing rather uh, amazing things. They don't all become stars the way she has, and and so that kind of got me feeling a little suspicious. But what were you able to uncover? So when I started digging into it, um, I found out right away, basically, that Greta, and I mean... This girl, she's lovely, right? I mean, I I didn't hear what you just played, but every time I speak to her, she's compelling, she's articulate. She's what's not to love. I mean, she says all the right things and everything that people should be saying. And so she really does have, um, she really does evoke, you know, a lot of emotion when when you listen to her. Anyway, when I went back right away, I found um, fairly easily um, her family is very, very, very famous in Sweden. And her mom is um, a big celebrity, and she does work. Now, I don't know whether it's paid or not. It doesn't even matter. She does work for 
Greenpeace, um, WWF, his, you know, they're both fully corporatized NGOs. Um, anyway, from this really elite family, which, you know, whatever. Um, when I went back, I had noticed her accounts, her social media accounts were set up last June. So between, um, you know, and then I, I looked at things I always look at, I mean, who, who she was following, and it's all, I mean, she's following basically the creme de la creme of the, of the professional, I don't want to use the word activist, but that's what they're referred to in this society. But she's following the creme de la creme of all the um, highly paid professional people that work um, in the so-called environmental movement. You know, and these are names like Tony Jupiter, um, who's, you know, a key person for natural capital. Natural capital, when I say that, that's the financialization, privatization of nature, payments for ecosystem services. Um, she's following all these people that it takes a long time to get to know who they are. You know, it, it seems unusual for somebody who's uh, like a, a teenager to be following people like that, even if they are super dedicated to the environment. Yeah, like these are people that you really have to be in the movement, especially within North America, to understand even who they are and what they do, right? Um, so anyway, I thought that was really odd. And um, within those accounts being set up in June, and then her first, very first day of her school strike, that was August, August 20th, I believe. Mm. And, um, yeah, she went from that to within a day or two being basically covered by 20 or 30 news agencies. Um, it was really odd because in the pictures that were taken of her, there's just her with, with this... Um, you know, cardboard sign on the sidewalk. And you think, wow, that's, you know, in what world does this happen where all of a sudden someone who's sitting on the sidewalk gets global news coverage within a day or two? Mm -hmm. You know, and then within days, it literally exploded. I believe by September 1st, she was, you know, um, great big pictures in The Guardian, The New Yorker, um, New Yorker. I mean, international status. On, in about 10 days. I mean, yeah. this is incredible, right? And then um, I started digging into that, and then the very, very first pictures of her taken were by an outfit called We Don't Have Time. And so I started digging into that, and then um, I came across pictures of Greta holding a sign saying We Don't Have Time. And then what that is, that's um, another outfit that's been in partnership with Al Gore's Climate Reality Project, and it's actually a software startup. It's a tech company, and they're creating an app, and they, um, you know, they have four, over 400 investors, and it's this app for climate change, and they hope that it will become, you know, billion-dollar, huge, profitable um, you know, software application that will supposedly help the climate. So anyway, that's that's the first thing. That was that was huge. And then further, if you dig into we don't have time, that's basically the first section is all about we don't have time. And that's um, they're affiliated with 
Al Gore's climate project. Um, it, like it, it's just so broad. It's yeah. hard to really explain it all. Yeah. Um, without reading, without getting into the reading. <laughs> yes. But, but it's, you know, this didn't just happen out of the blue. I mean, this. That's where everything came from. This firm. We don't have time. Greta is on. Is a youth trustee to the We Don't Have Time Foundation. Yeah. One of two, as one I One of two, and then the other one, um, Jamie... Margolin? Margolin. She's from the United States. And we don't... And if you go back through the social media, you'll see that she's been involved with We Don't Have Time um, prior, like back in the... I think mm -hmm. it starts maybe June. So they're already involved with Jamie Margolin before Greta Thunberg in building that relationship. And they're all in partnership and trained by Al Gore um, personally and involved in the Climate Reality Project. Okay, so this, this group, uh, We Don't Have Time, this, uh, this uh, sort of, uh, this startup, this, uh, it's, it's, it's got, developed this technological app that uh, it uh, you know, helps, as I understand it from reading it, it, it ranks different companies according to... Uh, how sustainable they are or it allows people to yeah i think it can do anything like you rank people you can rank politicians basically it can be used as a tool like it's um a lot of the people on board for example are behavioral change experts um you know which is becoming a big part of government um mm -hmm. setting up these behavioral change units nudge units um, so that's like a huge thing happening that's been underway, and that's something that a lot of NGOs, for instance, have as specialized in that type of behavioral change, um, getting basically creating whole societies to conform in certain ways as desired by the people, you know, that are creating, um, you know, the different ways they want society to go, if that makes sense. Yeah. So so they're on the board. They have um, coaching, um, global upmanning um, in Sweden's involved. Basically, part one goes through all the different people involved in that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that connects into right over into North America, into the um, Democratic Party, the... What is it? The Democrat Socialists? I mean, I'm Canadian, so I, I'm not. Yeah. I don't know the party. The Democratic the Socialist of America. Like the back yeah. of my hand. Yeah. But it definitely um, is all related and connects to the Green New Deal. Mm hmm. And um, the Sanders campaign, 350, um, you know, basically all the heavy hitters in the U.S. Okay, so you're basically mentioning that uh, this uh, Greta is essentially not acting in a vacuum, that somehow she's been, this campaign has been worked by, by that one startup, and it it's, seems to be like this non-governmental, this sort of s network of NGOs, and, and it just sort of echoes across that entire matrix and everybody ends up kind of singing from the same yeah like book. greenpeace and wwf have been involved right from the get-go especially greenpeace i'd say greenpeace is um aside from we don't have time when when involving in greta is like absolutely there at, at the beginning and even if you go back again like i document i link everything i i really really 
I'm very, very concise in the in the work that I present. Um, basically, you go back and you, you can see, like I, I sort of um, spell it, spell out all these connections and walk you through it. Mm-hmm. So I walk you through it from the beginning. Like even we don't have time back. I think, I mean, way before way before Greta. Um, I mean, I don't have my notes in front of me or my computer, but I'm thinking early August, maybe August 12th, and maybe even the month prior. Extinction Rebellion is already um, tweeting, we don't have time. Like, you've got a youth climate march last, let me think, when is it? Last July. And then you've got the climate, the climate group, which is a, an institution that represents all the most powerful corporations on the planet and also the climate group is one of the six co-founders of we mean business with the b team um series different groups i mean we're just talking all throughout the globe the most powerful corporations on the planet you have them tweeting zero hour we don't have time way way back in july Mm-hmm. Right, so so you go back and you see that this didn't just—it's not spontaneous. All this stuff didn't happen. This is being rolled out. That that seems to be the key. That that boost that she's got is the key to the profile that she's gotten. Um, maybe we need to just kind of uh, remind a lot of our uh, our, our listeners uh, about what is uh, concerning about yeah, like, the, the nonprofit. You know the, the, this non the, this network of nonprofits because I mean you know a lot of people might just sort of casually think well okay I mean people are are getting together and they're uh, sharing notes and okay uh, you know people are, are are looking for just the right ways because I mean we're talking about fairly you know they, they've got some fairly good financial resources but behind them I mean like WWF and so on and so they you know would no doubt have the ability to, uh, you know, focus group and, and develop just the right wording and just the right tools to, to figure out what, what would resonate with, uh, with you know, yeah, the, the broader I, like public. I, um, so it's... Again, I go through and I go back and I find out where the hashtags and that have been created and they're not new. They didn't just start all of a sudden spontaneously, you know, um, mm. in November, December, January, all these things were already created and and being discussed and used. Um, I think it's super important to to clarify this is not about um, Greta per se. This is about the exploitation of a young woman that I've never actually seen anything like it. I mean, I've done a pile of work on the nonprofit industrial complex and how they, um, you know, manipulate and how they do all kinds of horrible things, especially in countries like Libya, Syria, Latin America. But I've never seen uh, this level of exploitation with... um, um, you know, a, a young woman whose her mother has said has had serious, um, you know, issues in the past, like a very fragile young woman. Um, so I, I think it's really grotesque, the exploitation. 
And um, again, like these groups that we're talking about, people see them as, you know, representing civil society, but that's actually so far from the truth. They represent the corporations and foundations that finance them, and in so many cases that have created them in the first place. And so when we talk about Greenpeace and we talk about WWF and Avaz and 350, they're not against, you know, the the people at the top that oppress the working class and actually destroy our shared environment and have been, um, you know, the primary, um, basically the, the primary ones that contribute to climate change. They're all on the same team. And this is really, really the problem. And then when people come up, especially youth, they are instantly scooped up. You know, and in this instance, the youth are being, like, this is part of the campaign. Like, this is all on the backs of the youth to make all this happen. And it's disgusting because what it is, they're actually taking the energy of the youth and they're channeling it back in to what they're going to roll out. And that will destroy the very things that the youth are asking for and believe that they'll get. As people will realize as they go through the series, this, and this is, you know, fairly ironic, but not surprising at all. This has nothing to do with our environment or mitigating climate change at all. This is about untapped markets. This is about the capitalist system and um, a free a free fall, stagnant global economy. This is about unlocking new money to keep this capitalist system afloat. Al Gore and his climate um, reality project. Um, I think this is in part two. It, we talk in depth about the, his um, hedge fund that he set up with David Blood from Goldman Sachs. It's called Generation Investment. And, you know, you hear we have quotes from Gore in there. This is not about a different system. Um, this is not about getting rid of capitalism. This is about uh, capitalism. You know, and then they throw all kinds of terms on it, compassionate capitalism, sustainable capitalism, all these ridiculous um, terms to make people feel better. And then we go through, actually, what um, generation investment invests in, and then we take a really good example that we found in Africa, Mkopa Solar. And then you see a real live example of what this idea of sustainable um, revolution looks like in Africa. And what it is, is a whole year's wages for a 24-inch solar TV. I mean, it's just greed and exploitation at its very, very best or worst, whatever you want to call it. It is unbelievably disgusting. And, you know, this is one of the key people behind this whole mobilization that we're seeing right now. And then... To get back to the point I just made that it's not about climate, um, right, when was it? Not too long ago, I believe it was the end of September, it was announced the Climate Finance Partnership. That's 
what this is about, okay? So this is IKEA. This is all, like, great big, huge foundations working with government. This is all about unlocking money to keep this economy float to protect the capitalist system. And this will be in part four, and it's actually mind-blowing. Where does the money come from? Pensions. That's one thing. I mean, that's we need $90 trillion to build, a, you know, the Davos, what people don't even realize that's called, that was about the fourth industrial revolution. Mm. You know, there's pictures of Greta and Jane Goodall, and the background has been airbrushed out where it says Salesforce, fourth industrial revolution. The pictures have actually been altered. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's actually mind-blowing. And then even the documents on how to switch that, um, how to turn that switch on to make the public go into climate emergency mode to unlock this huge, um, massive injection of wealth that's needed, money that's needed to keep the economy going, to keep all the power, to protect all the power structures that are currently in place. That's... um, I forget where I was even going with that. Um, all that money, this is this is actually mind-blowing. Hmm. The money is not even for the climate. It's being packaged under the climate. The money is for growth markets, untapped markets and growth in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. So all this hype that we're going to save the environment and the climate <laughs> is a lie. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, broadcasting from CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and from partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. There is a, a saying, uh, a way of, of, of framing uh, the objectives of the, 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 the powerful uh, the corporations, the, the governments. The, it's called a problem, reaction, solution. It's a uh, you know, mechanism by which, you know, unpopular measures, you know, a, a strategy in which you, you frame something so that you, you get the objective that you want. And so a, a comparison, you know, in terms of what my understanding of what you're talking about here. Um, so, for example, in the case of 9-11, problem, there are terrorists out there. Okay, the reaction, people are scared, and so the solution that's provided is we're going to go bomb oil-rich countries, and we're going to uh, boost uh, spending uh, on militarism and uh, defense contractor, lucrative defense contracts, and mass surveillance, and and so on and so forth. So you've you've sculpted, you know, this is what you wanted to achieve. Uh, but you've you know you've you found an interesting way of, of framing it, and so it sounds like here, and I think we do need to clarify that you and I both recognize that the climate science, you know that you know we're not questioning climate science at all. We do recognize that the climate change is a problem, um, and uh, you know there's the reaction that well you know it's uh, definitely a daunting uh, future that we're facing, but the solution that's being provided is is not going to you know, enhance the uh, the climate at all, alleviate the situation at all. It's just going into people's pockets and uh, in in all kinds of uh, you know fairly nefarious ways. So that that's.
but yeah, we need to make that distinction that we're not questioning climate science itself, which it seems a lot of people who follow you do. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, this is about $90 trillion in brand new infrastructure and, and um, you know, all that. That's the way to look at that should be $90 trillion of further plundering of our planet. $90 trillion worth of um, fossil fuels that will be used to further create all that devastation, all that, all that, um, you know, there's not even enough. Even at, this has been going on for years, documents that are, are brought into the COP meetings, um, COP 20, you know, 23, 24, 25, there's not even enough metals. I mean, scientists are submitting papers saying we don't have enough natural resources left to even do this type of thing. You know, this whole idea of this fourth industrial revolution, especially the way it's been designed with the Climate Finance Partnership in the fall, they're going to take money from the pension. There's like $100 trillion locked up in pension money and um, institutions. The trick is, and this is a term that they use at these conferences, how do we unlock it? This is about unlocking public money. This is about taxpayer money, unlocking the treasuries. This is about keeping capitalism afloat. Well, let's talk about, like the, for example, the, the Paris Agreement. Now, everybody is, is talking about this as a, a strategy for, uh, you know, eliminating. We want to keep emissions below. Uh, we we want to keep uh, the temperatures average temperature below two degrees above baseline um, and I, I think people it, it has this veneer of being about climate and as I've you know you know reflected on the the, the free trade deb debates of the, the 1980s between Canada and the United States everybody's saying it's a free trade agreement well it's not really about trade only one chapter deals with trade it's it's really about things like intellectual property rights and energy and uh, you know uh, investor state uh, dispute settlement mechanisms and that sort of thing. And so, uh, you know, in, in the case of Paris, I mean, we have to look at things fairly critically and, and recognize that, uh, that, that, you know, uh, dealing with climate, that, that it's not really, the focus here isn't about uh, addressing climate. It's as, as I, at least my, my interpretation of what you're saying is that it's, it's really just in place to kind of help create a consensus around this shift this unlocking of, of trillions of dollars, as you put it. Yeah, I mean, business people that go, corporations and business people that go to the climate conferences are the first ones to even say that. That this is, you know, they're referred to as the biggest um, business meetings annually in the world now. Like, they're about business. And, you know, like they sell, quote-unquote, climate solutions under this beautiful, um, you know, under this beautiful guise of solar, solar panels and windmills, and they make, and they have trees behind it, and fields, and they have this beautiful holistic packaging, and then everyone thinks, oh, you know, windmills and turbines, we're going to do that, you know, cover the planet knees, and everything will be great, when, meanwhile, um, not even that those things are good. Those things are also, you know, plunder and devastate the planet as well. But this is not even about that. This is about carbon capture storage. Like if anyone 
follows and, and reads the stuff that the whole um like the phrase of reducing emissions that's gone now it's drawing down carbon decarbonization yeah we don't talk about any more emission reductions reducing emissions no emissions it's drawing down carbon decarbonization right and so language is really really important and this is about nuclear is about carbon capture capture storage which barely even exists but if we can un, you know unlock that money we can build um, to standard two degrees they're saying that we need about almost 400 carbon capture storage facilities on the planet which is unbelievable you know and um it's not even it's not even based in reality Hmm. Well, they are. They also talk about enhanced oil recovery, yes. uh, bioenergy with yeah. carbon capture. So they take the carbon and turn it into a synthetic fuel to, to kind of like recycling. Yeah, um, and also that helps get oil out of the ground. I mean, all of this is, is about more, more fossil fuels. Obviously, all of this has to be built on using fossil fuels, um, more digging, more mining, more, more, more. It's all about more. This isn't about conserving. This isn't about, you know what, how do we really um, start to, um, you know, the degrowth process? Should we look at, you know, um, rationing? How are we going to, how are we really, really going to figure out how to conserve and cut out all, you know, maybe cut out all production of things that we don't need? Like, how are we going to how are we going to handle it in that respect? It's all about more, more of everything, mm. you know. And that's if you understand the system, like it's a lot easier to to see how all this stuff operates and functions. All these things, like the Green New Deal, which actually we should we should mention, they have plans to create international, global. Green New Deals all across the world. At the same time, we've seen on um, 350 pushing a green uh, Green New Deal for Canada. Um, now we've got WWF promoting um, what is it? I just saw it yesterday or today. Um, New Deal for Nature. It's called New Deal for Nature, which is the financialization, privatization of every single service service that nature provides for free, put a price on everything. This is all being done under the Sustainable Development Goals at mm. the UN, the, which all of these people, you know, go through. Like all these, um, you know, everyone from Avaz has been in one way or another, been through the UN in some, in some way or another, um, through internship or job positions. Everyone goes through that, that corridor. I'm wondering if you could you know, maybe help our, our our listeners, like maybe secure in their own minds this idea that the you know, the the Paris Accord isn't what it seems, or or what it's uh, being billed as is a you know a, the the the, you know, the world coming together to address this common uh, threat. You know, so yeah. Yeah, you I can... mean that's just it. It's sort of like. Um, I don't know if we talked about this before on one of the shows we did, but it's sort of like Jeremy Hyman's um, co-founder of Avaz and the um, PR, New York PR firm Purpose, which is the sister arm of Avaz, 
sort of like what he said before the People's Climate March, I believe, back in 2014. You know, the green economy is dead. We need to kill the green. We need to kill the green word to save it. In order to save green, um, we have to, or sorry, in order to save, I guess, the green economy, we're going to have to kill green. So basically, that's when they rebranded everything to the new economy, right? And basically, he said, "We're going to um, we're going to sell the green economy, but we're not going to say it is what we're selling." And so that's, you know, right away you saw that happen. Like that actually just vanished for a long time, and we heard new terms like new economy, new systems. Um, all kinds of different terminologies being thrown around. But, for instance, we don't have time, um, aside from the software app, where you can make or break politicians or products, depending on who has, you know, the best advertising and the best marketing campaign. Um, a third of that whole concept uh, at you know, one of the three pillars is carbon offsets. You know, so, Michael, you know what carbon offsets are, obviously, and that's just business as usual, right? Like yeah. you burn your carbon and you pay somebody else an offset. Um, you know, it, it, again, it's like a market instrument, right? And it just allows you to to keep doing what you're doing. But it's actually worse than that because now corporations can, you know, further privatization of forests and lands through those offsets and it creates billion dollar another billion dollar industry. And so it's basically business as usual, carbon offsets, you know, pay to alleviate your guilt. Um, you know, So you basically imagine, it means like you can like do all sorts of really heavy industry and, and but you know, you'll you'll make up for it by financing some, you know, the growing a forest or something in some other area. Or yeah, or you can say, oh, if you don't touch that forest, I'm going to pay, I'm going to pay this much for, so, you know, 100 carbon credits to protect that forest. Well, that forest was already there, right? So it actually hasn't changed anything except for create, like, a new market of trade and, and commerce. I mean, for instance, someone with a, a huge carbon footprint and I'll use Al Gore as an example since he actually says that he lives a carbon-free lifestyle because he buys offsets. I mean, the idea of that is just so ridiculous. Um, so that's that's just one thing, you know. And then the Paris Accord, I when was that? What year was that? When they Please. announced um, what was it? Michael Mission Innovation? Yeah. Bill Gates. Yeah. Right, and so that's like a huge thing. And if you go into the, um, the one campaign I saw, I think it's called Off. Michael Swift was telling me about it. So I found the actual legislation in the states, and it's off fossil fuels. And you get down to number five, and actually Bill Gates is mentioned right in the legislation. Like again, it's about it's not what you see and what is being sold to you. It's about what you don't see. Right, what's actually really happening behind the scenes at the conferences, on paper through the sustainable development goal or the global goals, sustainable development goals through the UN. We're talking expansion of nuclear. 
you know, carbon capture storage, what we've already talked about. Um, what's the other one? Michael Swift knows everything about this stuff. Well, uh, yeah, the, the enhanced oil recovery. The enhanced oil recovery, which actually serves to get oil out of the ground better, right, for, like, depleted oil wells or, you know. Um, so, again, we've got... We've got all the decarbonization, drawing down carbon. We're talking geoengineering here. You know, we're talking, um, again, new markets, new technologies, Mm -hmm. Bill Gates, you know. And it's even worse because you've got Ransom, you've got Bill Gates, you've got Breakthrough Energy, which is all nuclear, which was, again, was that brought out at the same time? Yeah. Was it? Breakthrough? And so you've got all these co-founders of Breakthrough. I think it's about 20 of the richest people on the planet. But who's going to pay for all this? We are. Mm-hmm. Right? The rich get richer. I mean, again, this whole, the whole financing thing. It's how to unlock the 100,000 or 100 trillion, what is it? The number is so huge, $100 trillion locked up in pensions and institutional investments. Hmm. I mean, they don't even spend their own money, right? Yeah. And it all goes back to them. Again, it's like taking from, again, all the money goes up from the bottom right to the top, and that inequality, that divide just gets... And we're also talking about government enforcing uh, these strategies, you know, investment in, in decarbonization strategies, kind of like, uh, you know, when they talk about a Green New Deal, I mean, this is uh, invoking the language of FDR and, you know, how they used government money to create jobs, lay down infrastructure, and that became a, a, me- a mechanism for, you know, you know enhancing... Uh, the, the social fabric, but uh, in this instance, we're talking about uh, you know compelling the use of some of these uh, actually largely unproven technologies, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people even on the right side of the spectrum that say, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, there's just no way this is even possible. And here it is, the premise of keeping under two degrees. Mm-hmm. And by the way. Two degrees is is a lie too. It's always been one degree. Yeah, you you so brought that. On from that. Yeah. yeah, you you came up with that um, that document from was it UN? Nineteen ninety. Yeah, nineteen ninety one degree. I wonder maybe you could just back up a little bit. We were talking about this. Uh, we don't have time uh, firm and, and then their app that, that basically ranks different uh, uh, companies uh, or, or groups according to their uh, you know, sustainability quotients or, or what have you. You, you made an interesting uh, observation uh, that the, the, the system is, is somewhat skewed and, and that you know, white Western values are end up being incorporated into it. I mean, there's a subsection of your your uh, series. You called it uh, "We Don't Have Time" software app. The latest wave of Western corporate ideology at your fingertips. 
you know, where basically you're rating brands, products, corporations, you know, uh, that's everything else climate rate related. And it seems as if the flaws in this ranking system, um, you know, basically, uh, according to your level of sustainability and climate stewardships, um, like, like, you know, the, the, those old IQ tests, they're, they're rife with subconscious Western and white, white cultural norms. And uh, you know, I wonder maybe you could just uh, point out an illustration of, of where, uh, you know, the, the blind spots in this. Uh, the, this well, sure. Sort of like, say, if that was, all, if that was already um, on the market and in people's hands right now, we'd have right now, especially with this huge wave, this huge frenzy of um, climate emergency stuff happening, we'd have everyone everyone that the NGOs reach via the, their apps, everyone would be demanding for the Paris Agreement, for all countries to be aligned in, with the Paris Agreement. I mean, that's what Greta says her one goal is. All, all countries have to be in line with the Paris Agreement. So that would happen, right? You'd have just this mass movement demanding it. So basically, we are demanding what they already have ready to to further oppress us. We're demanding our own oppre oppression. Like they they don't have to impose their will on us. We will demand it. And so again, reality turned on its head. So that's an example of where that app would really really be utilized to bring in that um, have all the countries. Like even right now, they're passing. You can see every day countries passing. Um, climate emergency acts it, on some level of government, right? So again, that's to once that's created, then you can do budgets, and then you have to come up with the money, start unleashing the money. That's where all the money is going to come from. But another example would be um, like when the when the NGOs tried to help to stabilize Bolivia not too long ago. What they can do and what they usually do, they'll say you know, oh, whatever government, whatever socialist government they don't want, um, they're, they're cutting down, you know, part of the rainforest for a road, right? They'll say that wherever, something like that. And then everyone clamors aboard, oh, no, no, that's wrong. Even if the indigenous people want it, it doesn't matter what the, you know, white populace has to say. In America, for some reason, their, their um, opinion matters more than the people that actually live there. But you get this huge wave of dissent going against the socialist leader, um, even though, I mean, we're destroying our own boreal and our own rainforest faster, you know, than anyone can even um, fathom. And we don't even mention that. We go after a different country, right, what, what they're tearing down, even though all their, all their resources get swallowed up by us. I mean, the people there aren't even using them themselves. That's just another component of how ridiculous and, you know, um, how ridiculous that is. But the app could be used to come to, to stabilize leaders. I mean, you create acquiescence of a populace to go in and, and you know, look what happened in Libya. Same thing. Like, you create that acquiescence. And so this app would definitely serve to do that. And it's the people with um, time and money that are connected to the Internet and have the time and the luxury 
you know, their demographic that they're appealing to. I mean, people out working, laboring in fields aren't going to be on these apps, right? Like the people at the bottom of the capitalist system, those exploited most, they're not going to be, they don't have the luxury of sitting at their table and looking, you know, reading, you know, Avaz and 350 petitions and everything else. They're trying to live yeah. and trying to survive. <laughs> Often by <laughs> yeah, they're 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 mining the coltan in Congo that you're going to end up being that's going to end up in the very phones that you're, uh, you're exactly. expressing your exactly you know and even um, Greta was featured with Jane and uh, Goodall at Davos and um, am I pronouncing it right Davos I think it's Davos Davos yeah. whatever it's called um, Davos you know they had Jane Goodall come in and. Like I told you, they actually hair-brushed out the background, that fourth industrial revolution, sales force, and there she is trying to save her <laughs> gorillas that are basically almost gone because of all the um, conflict minerals. Mm. And yet there she is promoting a fourth industrial revolution. What's I mean, being so much of this is just insane. What's yeah, being we're, we're yeah. so conditioned now. Yeah, we're like what's being called like people have this simplistic idea that well, this is uh, the the renewable energy economy, the green economy. It's actually green imperialism. Yeah, yeah, and but they've done such a good job of marketing it as clean. You know, it's just like how we perceive our computers are so clean, and look at them, they're so clean, and now I don't use paper on all this, and we don't even think about the amount of energy and the amount of um, like just this massive amount of energy it takes to cool all, all these um, you know where they keep all the data I, I mean it just it keeps doubling and doubling and doubling and doubling and it's just again like this massive thing that no one talks about you know and the clean energy you know again quotes around it that is definitely just green imperialism all over. I mean, the whole definition of sustainability is what's very much in the area where you live, right? And that's what you live on. That's the whole concept of sustainability. I mean, not to go and plunder, you know, halfway across the world and bring it back, you yeah. know, for, you know, uh, um, all the colonists. I mean, it's just uh, uh, a I mean, our collective ability to, to think these things out critically and discuss them, it, it just seems to be gone. Yeah, it's probably deliberately uh, manipulated right there. Um, kind of running on low, a little bit low on time, uh, would you want to just maybe say then what an uncoopted uh, environmental movement, like without the, the, uh, the these Wall Street uh, uh, imbued... Uh, non-profits uh, if you had a more pure and authentic environmental movement that, that could act as a, uh, a beacon for, for, uh, for young people what, what would you say it would look like? Or? That's a really good question I mean even Extinction Rebellion I think they were chose because the core group in the UK and actually um, I believe it's, it started in France I could be wrong about that but that's um, Macron was one of the key people that brought this finance um, 
agreement together a couple months ago, the Climate Finance Partnership. So it's obviously um, why they're getting so much exposure and, you know, promotion in the media, you know, because that helps, again, what we're talking about, unleash, create that emergency and create that push and drive to unleash all this money. But um, a good example, and I don't think there is an example that could be global, just like everything else that's not sustainable, um, you know, at a global scale. But there's a group I came across not too long ago uh, through Wrong Kind of Green on the page, and they're a small fracking grassroots group. And they actually really, really have educated themselves on the dangers of the nonprofit industrial complex, you know, and they have a website and they publish, you know, a lot of really excellent critical thinking articles. Like they've, they really, really um, educate themselves and protect themselves against that co-optation. And they're doing really good things in their community and protecting it against fracking, and they've done a great job. You know, and they're not compromising, and they're not working, you know, cotoling to corporate um, powers or trying to get foundation money. Like, I think, you know, I'd love to see what it would look like if the money did disappear because I would love everyone that's in this manufactured movement. I know without money, they would all be gone in a heartbeat. Like, they... they don't, to be blunt, so many just don't give a f about the environment or the climate or any anything other than saving, you know, human civilization, saving humans, meaning white humans. Like, they really don't care. And I'd love that to open up and see who we're left with and, you know, start having authentic people that actually really, really care about the environment and about each other, like our brothers and sisters across the planet, that we should be, um, you know, with that privilege, we should be using it to educate our youth about what imperialism is, you know, about who it affects, about who it destroys, you know, the same with the capitalist system. I think if we could, if that system, the nonprofit industrial complex was to be dismantled, it would, you know, just like a, a plant breaking out of a concrete sidewalk, I think there's a lot that could be accomplished. Just going to remind our listeners again that uh, you can find the, uh, the entire series, uh, the manufacturing of Greta Thunberg for consent on the uh, wrong kind of green site at wrongkindofgreen.org as well as on her own site theartofannihilation.com Corey, th so, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Corey Morningstar independent investigative journalist writer and environmental activist You've been listening to the Global Research News Hour. You can listen to our programs every week on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partnering radio stations across Canada and the United States. You can also download each episode from the website globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on this program, email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. I'm series host, creator, and producer Michael Welch. Join us again next week.